on time. Let's all get a seat and we'll open in prayer. This is this is the tenth class. Hello, morning. Everybody's everybody's fellowshipping. Yes. Yeah. Well, sooner or later the mic will get louder and louder and louder. Um, morning. I know you're all excited about a 76 degree day in the middle of winter. So, yes. Uh, don't don't hold on to it too long. Wednesday's coming. It's a, all right, let's pray, and we'll begin, begin class. Yes, that's Oklahoma weather. That's like, yes. Uh, Father, we thank you for this morning. As we come together as a body of believers here at Southwood, we're going to look into something that you're well aware of, that we have, uh, as mankind, we have a decision-making ability, and sometimes we don't want to take the responsibility we should and Father, we're going to talk about that this morning, and we wanted to glorify you at the end, that we make good, uh, solid decisions based on your word. And Father, again, we thank you for this time that we've put aside to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I want to pick up with the idea a little bit this morning on the concept of the will of God in relationship to man's will. Uh, in other words, how do they, uh, at some point, coincide... How do we make decisions, not waiting for some uh, magical bird drop or something that comes out of heaven to say, here's what you're to do. Uh, we want to know that we're making godly, right decisions, and in life's um, turmoil and circumstances and things that go on and the variables there, um, we're not looking for some magic answer, and we can't turn, we can't like open up our Bible, let it fall open to an answer that gives us to our everyday problems and situations. And sometimes we just got to make the decision. And many of you uh, want to be as godly as possible, making right decisions. So I'm going to start off with something. It's called how to do a Bible study kind of thing, a reminder of how to do this. I know we've done it. I don't know how many times here. But if I were to type in will of man in the in a Bible search program, you wouldn't find a whole lot in that. And I can't say, hey, the book of 1st uh, Caleb talks all about the will of man. So you can find all the information you want in that one book. Uh, that's not how the Bible is designed. And we've got to be able to find these things within a good Bible study method. So if it can't be found, and I kind of left off a little bit last week with this, and we talked momentarily about it, I just want to review it, uh, uh, because I think understanding what Bible study is about, then you understand what I have to do to present a lesson, and what you should be doing to verify any lessons or to study the Bible yourself. For instance, if you wanted to study any specific topic, you can get a concordance and look it up, but that's not really the best way. The problem is, sometimes... If you pick a topic, it may have various Hebrew and Greek words that are involved. It may not just be that one translated word. So you have to be very careful. So one of the things I would say is we have to understand what a doctrinal study is, what a word study is, what a systematic theology is. They're all pretty much the same. Um, And this is a great procedure to use, again, for yourself and for verifying any teacher, not just me. Prayerfully, you are doing due diligence, Um, but if you hear anybody, because over the years, even that I've been in this church, I don't know how many people 
that have come up to me have mentioned various Bible teachers, and some of them will go, well, I wouldn't even listen to him, or uh, or I'll say something very, it sounds arrogant, but it's not meant to be arrogant. It's like, he doesn't listen to me, so why should I listen to him? I'm trying to be nice, because most of these teachers that are, I would say are in the public air, um, most of them, if you verify their content, you'll find out it's fluff. It's nothing. It's just there. Some of it's okay, but some of it, again, is a standard of interpretation that's not really well done sometimes. So remember, if they got three or 4,000 in their congregation, they're teaching... They're not teaching the growing, uh, higher, mature people. They're, they're trying to grow the church, so they're placating the masses more than the few to grow. You, you kind of get what I'm saying? So here's what you got to do. First of all, whatever the topic is, okay, next, we're, next class we're going to talk about murder. So go through the whole Bible and find out anything that has to do with any type of uh, killing, slaying, murder, uh, animal, man, whatever, and you co- you take all those co- and collect all those passages. That's what you would do. You would go through the Bible, collect all those passages, Genesis to Revelation, again, cover to cover. Here's the problem, though. You have to understand the context of every one of those words, because context vary. Last week, we did a study in the second class on righteousness, remember? And I showed you there's different things and different types of righteousness and different ideas and different people that are associated with righteousness. And I missed one. So I said, oh my goodness, Joseph, the husband of Mary, was a righteous man. And he was getting ready to do what to Mary? Anybody remember? Divorce her. And you say, well, that's a horrible thing to do. Yeah, it's pretty horrible. But he, but the Bible calls him what? A righteous man. So, I mean, you got to kind of say, okay, the context defines Joseph as a righteous man. How can that be righteous? Because most of us in our heads say those two don't kind of go together. If you're divorcing, most of us have a stigma about us that said if somebody's getting a divorce, they're what? They're not righteous. Something's gone on in their life. They're sinful. Even the idea of divorce sometimes is sinful, which will lead up to a couple of weeks from now lesson in the second class because that's where we're going in the Sermon on the Mount. But you have to gather all that information like we did on righteousness. Third step, after we collected all all the relevant passages and we've uh, understood them in context, so you could say passages in context, in, uh, that are relevant, passages in context. Thirdly, we've got to organize them in categories. In other words, what does the Bible teach about that word? Uh, and, and you categorize it and, and you put it down. In other words... Uh, I'll give you an idea. Redemption. If I say redemption, that's a, that we all think what? In lieu of salvation. But redemption has a couple of different meanings. Uh, you know, so you got to see where, what does it teach about it? What, first of all, what's the means of it? What's the scope of it? Who's the, who's being redeeming? Uh, in other words, who's being redeemed out of the marketplace? Who's doing the redemption? Uh, what is what is the person that is being redeemed? So you do all these things. And this is called Bible study. Uh, not just, and I know some of us have to go a step, it's not just reading the Bible, it's also understanding it and getting a, a little enticed by words and, and things that are going on, because you can't apply what you don't know. In other words, if you read, um, if some of you get a manual and you just read it, like for instance, you buy a new uh, toy or something for Christmas and you read the manual, but you just go and put the manual down and walk over to the 
whatever it is, the drone. Let's, let's, let's put a drone as our example. And you just pick it up and you say, let me just put batteries in and fly it. And you haven't figured out which way is what and whatever. You're going to destroy that thing and you lost your money kind of thing. So you got to take that manual and apply it to the product it was made for. And always read the smaller print that's, you know, that says if, if you put the batteries in backwards, you just blew it up or something. You got to be careful. Um, not that I did that. I don't have one. Uh, nor do I think I want to get one, but, um, but you got to take all these different things and, and p- apply it to your life. So when you talk about a, whatever category you're putting together, you got to say, how does that apply to the believer's life at the end? You're not looking for initially just application, but at some point you got to use what you learn, right? And I think that's important. Uh, so when we talk about a believer maturing, what what matures that believer? Reading the Bible? Understanding the Bible? Those are good things. What else? Grasping the whole context of what's being said, how, how it works in the believer's life, um, making it part of your life. So when you look at things, you look through it through biblical eyes. So what we're going to do, it's kind of a doctrinal study on the will of God. That's what we're going to start this morning. I know we've been doing this will of man, will of God, but I'm going to, we're going to look at verses that actually say that. But in order to get there, I got to do some preliminary stuff. Because we got to say, how does it relate to man? Because man's got to make choices to be in the will of God. Well, one of the things I, I notice when we talk about the aspects of salvation, there's three phases, we call it, or three parts of it, or whatever you want to call it, because salvation package, the moment you're saved, you're justified, sanctified, and glorified. Now, I'm looking around the room, and most of you look mystified. That's not part of the package, okay? Uh, so we got justified, we got glorified, uh, sanctified, and glorified. That's the moment you're saved. But as you look at yourselves, I don't feel glorified this morning. I don't know about you all, because your glorification, you think new body, New life with Christ kind of thing. You don't think uh, I'm waking up with aches and pains and everything hurts and certain things are feeling way beyond my age and certain things aren't. Kind of that's not glorified, okay? But the Bible says the moment we're saved, we have all of that. But we got to understand how they work and interact with each other and what we do have. Uh, but before that, before we become saved, uh, we got to talk about God's desire for all men to be saved. Uh, and if you look at what Christ has done for uh, our salvation, it's just not our salvation. He went to the cross for what? For everyone. Okay? Is everyone saved? Let's, pl- let's please say no, because that would make us what? Universalists. And universalism, uh, there's a sign I was driving t- t- uh, out 71st the other day, and the sign says, we're all God's children, no exceptions. Anybody have a problem with that? Huh? If you if you say no, I totally agree with that. Then I would say that's a universalist statement. Now, is God not the heavenly Father for all mankind? Yeah, but when it says children of God, look up that verse. It's talking about people that have a relationship with the Father through the Son, through salvation, what we call salvation by faith, right? So we're not all children of God. What that sign basically said to me is: be nice to everyone, love everyone, forget about God's wrath and God's judgment. And that's, we gotta be careful. We gotta be students of the Bible, because it really does sound nice that we're all children of God. Can't we just what? Get along. And, and we, we should be loving to everyone. I have no problem with that. 
But there's times we're not going to get along, because why? The truth makes people mad as heck. <laughs> it, 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 it does set us free, but first, if you tell someone you're dying and going to hell because they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you think they're going to love on you? Say, thank you, brother, for letting me know that. It's just not going to happen. There's not going to be that reaction you're going to get most of the time. Most of the time, they may just want to coil this up and want to punch you because that's 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 not nice. Uh, even though it's the truth, and it will be nice because you want them to what? Not go to hell, kind of thing. You want them to have a relationship with God. Um, so when we talk about justification, that's our initial uh, package we get that where we walk in and judicially God declares us right in. In his son. So justification is important. It's the first step of salvation. Second is sanctification. Now there's two parts to that. One is we are sanctified. We're set apart. The moment we're saved, we're set apart for God's use. But we're also going to grow in that. Uh, and we're going to talk about that growth process in a second. The third thing is glorification, the place God wants us to be, where we will uh, see his son and be like him. First uh, John, I think 3, 3, 1 and 2, somewhere in there. Uh, we're not going to turn to it right now. Um, but I want to talk about growth for a minute because that's where I really want to nail a little bit. Because you cannot know, um, my marquee sign is pretty clear, you cannot know the will of God if you're not in the Word of God. And we're going to talk about that process a little bit this morning. So when we talk about growth, put down two words or, or somewhere, think on these two words. If you take notes, it's really great. Two words, information, interaction. Growth requires information and interaction. Um, Constantly I get asked, what do you do at church? What are you preaching on? And I go, I try to explain to people, I'm not preaching. I'm a Bible teacher. And we're going to teach through certain parts of Scripture because I want people to learn to think what uh, God's thoughts after Him, divine input that you're going to get so you can have divine output. I want you to look at the Bible. I want you to see phrases and words and so on and so forth. If I just wanted to teach topically and give you all something really great for your psyche and your, the philosophy of life, we could do that. Uh, probably have 300 more people here and it would be very entertaining and hire a couple of people to be in the band, that kind of thing. And that, and we could be, do that. That's not what we're here for. We're here to learn the Word of God, to get information. So information is truth to mind. Information is truth of God's Word to the, to your mind. Uh, one thing I learned a long time ago, what Bible study really means, is for you to think God's thoughts after him. So if you've ever been to a Bible study, and you don't have to show, raise a hand, but I'm going to raise mine right now. Think about this. You've been to a Bible study, and people go around the room and say, what do you think? They'll read a scripture, whatever it might be, uh, you know, in Second uh, Esther, verse 17 or something, and you go, what? Where'd you get that from? Because you, that's what you're really thinking about. You have no clue what the Bible says, but this is what I think that says. And personally, I want to see whose feelings that could hurt the most. I don't care what you think. I want to know what the Bible says. So we search for truth by saying, here's what it says. Here's the context it's in. That's one of the struggles we've been having in the second class. When the Sermon on the Mount, understanding the interpretation model that is needed for who Christ is talking to at that time, and not saying, hey, he's talking to the church. Because I don't think Christ ever stepped into a church. Right? Or am I, did I miss something? You know, was Christ going to the first Baptist of Jerusalem? You know, that wasn't going on. So Christ's times were different, and who he's talking to is different. So we want to interpret it in light of those things that are going on. 
So we want to get information. That's the main thing. We need to get in information and verifiable information. So if I say to you, this is this part of speech there, you can go to a Greek text and say, uh, Jack does sometimes. I see him down there flicking. And then his mind starts going. He says, i got to come up with something. Search this out because Eric did something. And he comes up with some neat information for me sometimes because he's clicking. Okay? So you all should be clicking. Okay? Secondly, interaction. Interaction. Now, this isn't... An, uh, now, i got to say this nicely again. I'm not saying you shouldn't be emotional over things you might read. Um, I, I don't know if I said this before here. My Bible is held together right here with liquid nails. Because I was studying once, and I, I literally took my Bible and went like that. Because I, I, I understood what it said, but it was, I was getting kind of a little irritated, and I said, you know, and I just chucked it. I didn't know the backing would pop apart. So do uh, keep liquid nails. It's really good. To, you did that too, didn't you? Did it work? Yes, yeah. liquid nails, proof positive, not a five, $50 to rebind it, $4 for liquid nails. I get nothing back. <laughs> it's not an advertisement, it's just really cool. Um, but the point is, it may bring out an emotion, studying the Word of God. It may bring out, but you're looking for something that you're going to respond to the truth. What now do I do with what I, what I learned? How do I react? How do I, I use that in my life? For the truth that I have, this is, is it changing me? Changing how I am and who I am? Jesus is dealing, and again, in the Sermon on the Mount, with people with bad attitudes, they were doing some really neat things outwardly. You say, hey, that's a really good person. That's a really good person. They're good people. And they smell good, look good, and, per- and gave this outside presentation. They were really good. They had sanctimonious prayer lies, these Pharisees. Yet God knew inside they stunk to high heaven. Okay? And he was trying to do what? Get to the root that produced the fruit. Not the fruit that, that, that had no relation to the root. That's what's going on. So sometimes we've got to get to the same thing. We've got to get to the root of what, what and who we are. So we look for that information. So with those ideas that I've kind of... Let's plug in some thoughts now. First of all, since we have this paradigm, I guess. We're going to spend time in the Word of God. We're going to get information. We're going to interact with it. We are also 100% responsible for all our decisions. Um, So if you go out to eat tonight and you go to McDonald's, uh, you shouldn't be there, but that's my opinion, okay? Uh, And you should come home later that night and you say, man, my stomach doesn't feel good and my head's hurting. Well, you made a bad decision, and your body's telling you, not so smart. In four, three or four weeks from now, you'll forget what you did and do what? Go back to McDonald's. Because they got those golden arches on almost every corner. So, you know, we, we, we make decisions. And, that, and the advertisers know that. Tonight when you watch the Super Bowl, when the 49ers are winning, I told you I was going to get this in. <laughs> and if, you will see commercials that are trying to get you to do what? Buy a car, eat a candy bar, drink a soda, uh, you know, to drink way too much Gatorade for Oklahoma and your electrolytes go off the Richter scale, but you, t- you did what you were supposed to do because the commercial reached you at the very base of who you are. They made you do something. Okay? Um, so, but you're still responsible for that decision. Secondly, without, without it, the proper information, so some of us have information underload. You know, somebody walk out. I, 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 
listen, I, I taught a Bible class once, and the guy, one of the elders of the church came up after, afterwards, and he said, that was really good, but that was way too much. We just wanted something that we could apply. I'm like, what? This is the elder of the church. And I go, are you serious? And he was elder. He was about 70-something at the time, and I was about 30-something. And, and I said, wow, what, really? It's over the top. You should, too much information. No, no. I'd rather have too much information. How many of you ever gone to an all-you-can-eat buffet? How many of you eaten everything on the buffet? Not everybody. No, you can't. I've seen you. Nobody can do that. Even though some people pile high. You know, you see those people and say, it's a buffet, you can go back. <laughs> you know, but they pile high, right? Listen. I'd rather you go to the buffet and say, these are the four things I got, these are the six things, these are eight things I got, and I really can use those things. Then go to somebody and look at a menu, and there's one thing on the menu, grilled cheese sandwich. That's all you get, grilled cheese sandwich. You go to the back of the restaurant, what are you getting, grilled cheese? And I don't have to look at the menu, it's got one item on it, grilled cheese. And you get a side of mac and cheese if you want, kind of thing. Uh, you know, kids love that stuff, right? But that's not going to be any nutrition you need. And you don't go back to that. So uh, we need, without information or an information underload, we'll have an interaction no load, and we cannot grow. We cannot mature. Without those two things, there is no spiritual maturity. Listen, if you're not taking in God's word, and I, I, listen, somebody will inevitably walk up to me, is once a week good? I am not the barometer of that. Don't don't ask me that, because I study the Bible Every day, okay? Or I'm doing something with study every day, otherwise you're not getting fed, okay? If I was just studying, you know, like the New York Times and whatever, you'd be getting news, okay? You want to get the Word of God. So you got to ask yourself, what's good? Now, here's the problem. I'm going to help you a little bit. Don't start. I'm going to do it every day at 4 o'clock for two hours. Don't do that. Be inconsistently consistent to become consistently consistent. Okay, you all understand what I mean, right? Okay, start somewhere. Start somewhere. Uh, read a passage of Scripture and say, and take a 3 by 5 card or a little notebook and say, here's what I got out of this. Here's what I got to look up. Here's something that made me think. Here's something I don't understand. So right, I think we did that thing. I don't even have it up here. With the kids. We have the kids sheet every four weeks. It's got basic questions. Ask those basic questions of yourself as you study the Bible. Uh, so you can make... Good decisions. Uh, so no matter what we're saying, we must take in God's God's word to live God's will. So somebody asked me, and will inevitably say, where can you find God's will in the Bible? Well, if you close this and hold this like that here. You get it here. Because not every word does it say, this is God's will. Now we're going to go through the places in Scripture that says, this is God's will. Because it makes us easy. Let's do this. Let's look at these things because it's important for us to know that. But uh, the Bible doesn't give us every step in life. What do I do? Who do I call? How do I do it? What, what do I need to do? And, and then when you get it all, everything's running copacetic and cool. And then all of a sudden, you, something, life throws you a wrench in the cogs of your life. And you, everything starts to blow apart. And you say, who do I call? Because I need somebody to do what? Help me make a decision. Don't call me because I'm going to say, say, what do you think? Because it's not my life. It's your life, right? And I'm going to say, what do you think? Well, I don't know. You're supposed to help me make a decision. No, there's nothing in any documentation that says pastors to decide for you. I'm not anybody's decider. I got I got issues myself. I don't decide sometimes. I got to sit down. What's the best for everybody involved? The best for me? And then to ask different people about 
things that are part of that and then say, okay, what do I do with that? And sometimes, guess what I do? I table that decision. Or I make one and say, you know something? It'll work out. Because God's what? Romans 8.28. All things work together, right? So we're going to look at that too as we do that. So the simple issue begins here. Okay, here's the simple issue. I'm going to make it. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? And if anybody in this room says, yes, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, all of you have the indwelling Holy Spirit. You have immediate help. Okay? You have immediate help. Uh, Then the Christian life, it's about issues, about prayer, about mental attitude, about your interaction with the local assembly, uh, actions for others and to others and from others. So these are the things in life you're going to have. Okay? Um, some people want to live a monkish life. They want to become a believer and stay at home and go, and and I'm going to say something again. The Bible says that's sin. That's sin. If you stay at home and don't interact with other believers and don't want to have anything and don't hear from other believers, you're actually living in sin. Because the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves, what? Apart. It doesn't say that. It says together. Uh, the Hebrew people knew nothing about assembling apart. It doesn't even make sense. Let's all let's all go apart. It's, God even says what? Come, let us reason apart. God says, come, let us reason together. So there's something about that one another that's very important. That's another good Bible study. Type in in a, in a search program one another, and see how many times that comes up in the Bible. It's, it's a lot of times. You can have a good Bible study on that. Um, so, let's talk about God's desire toward all men. Regardless of their salvation, what is God's desire to all men? Again, we're looking for information that we could use for this to interact with all men. So, we're going to take in information, and we're going to say, well, how does this plug in that we can use for all men, not just fellow believers? Sometimes, I hate to be like this, You've, you may be in a church for a long time. You may be needed to be reminded of your status with Christ. Are you a believer? And you say, well, for sure I am. Well, that's fine. But what does that mean? Does it mean what? Well, I'm going to heaven. But that, that's not just what it means. It means a lot more than that. Now you have a real basis for a relationship with the living and true God. There's things that are going on there. Uh, so, you made a decision at some point... You've heard about the cross work of Christ. You've come to salvation. And here's what God wants to do. God wants to bless you for saying yes. Do you realize that? God wants to put you in a place of blessing because you've come uh, to a volitional choice to say yes to the cross work of Christ. The opposite of this is is also true. If someone says no to the cross work of Christ, God is going to minister wrath toward them. So you're in one place, a place of blessing or a place of wrath. That is mankind. That's the separation. We're not all children of God. You know, no exception. No, there's exceptions because God has to do certain things because of who he is. So because God took our sins, he placed them on Jesus Christ on the cross, and the payment was a perfect, complete payment, and we call this what? Good news, right? It's the gospel. It's good news. And if you said yes, you have eternal life. When does eternal life begin? At the moment of salvation. Now, I know some of you are looking at it and saying, well, I don't feel like I have any kind of real life. Uh, But you have eternal life. 
and I think what we miss sometimes as believers, we're waiting for death when we're really not waiting for death. We're waiting for graduation from this life into the next. But it's just graduation. Uh, since I've never experienced death, I have my own thoughts on death. I don't know, as a believer, if you actually experience it, you just walk into a new place. That's my personal opinion. Uh, whatever the body goes through is what God does with the body. But I don't think, because that's, that, to me, the other thinking on the other side, if it was something traumatic, um, that would be a wrath experience. And God says, to, to those that say no, they're already what? God's wrath is being revealed from what? Right? Romans chapter 1, verse 18. So we've got an idea there that's going on there. So let's go to, now that I've said all that, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. That was the second longest introduction I've ever had. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Now, this isn't one of those things, and you may have an interpretation, I haven't read every translation, that says this is the will of God. But this word in here does give us a, a desire of God, a, a wish of God, and I don't, and we've got to be very careful because God wishing sounds really weird, doesn't it? God has a wish. And he has a little lantern. No, that's not what it's saying here. For verse 4 says, who do, uh, Well, let me read verse 3. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Okay? Um, so, we're going to have to deal with that verse a little bit. Uh, since verse 1 says, uh, the very end of verse 1 says, Be made on behalf of all men. I want you to understand in the Greek language, this, this phrase... Um, all men has been set in, in a place in the Greek language is very emphatic. He's being very emphatic, and I think most of us understand what the word all means in this context. Sometimes all doesn't mean all, everywhere, because if I say all of you need to do this, I'm not talking to everybody outside this place, I'm talking to all of in this place, right? So I'm, God's talking to every person, man, woman, child that's ever come along. His desire is for them to be what? Saved. And we're going to stop there for now, but that's not his total desire. The idea is, now let me give you some Greek a little bit. The word desire has to, is, is thealo. It has to do with wish, desire, and it's in the present tense. So God's continuous desire, what he has always desired, is that all men be saved. It's God's constant desire. God consistently wants all men to be saved. And this is, this is challenged Every minute of every day, every moment on this planet, this this is challenged. Because God says, my desire is for you to be saved. And someone says, well, I want to be Islamic. I want to be a Buddhist. I want to be. I can't. I don't want to stop being Jewish and understand going to temple and understanding that. I don't want nothing to do with Jesus. That's not true. That's your truth. And and what you just did was challenge God's will. And challenging God's will is allowed. Because if God didn't allow challenge to his will, and he wants all men to be, uh, to be saved, and people aren't saved, what would happen to them immediately? Poof! PF flyers alone and nobody left. Right? Because God doesn't, you know, and people don't realize God allows people to say no. And, for instance, if you look in your own life, how many times did you hear the gospel before you finally said yes? Now, some of you said, 
once I was four years old, I believed in Christ. Well, that's fine. But some of you may have been older, and it took a bunch of different times. It took different people in your lives. Uh, I, I had a young man that I was dealing with when I was real young, and everybody had talked to him about the Lord. And somebody came up to me at a place I should have never been, and I said, um, which was a conference that I didn't want. I, I was basically asked to go for a favor. But I met this guy, and we, had, we still have a relationship after, what, 30-something years? Because... I wasn't the one that led him to the Lord. I was the one that gave him just that much more information that he needed. He was already ready. He just couldn't understand how being Jewish and being saved reconciled in his brain. I said, it's the most logical thing that Spock told me that would ever happen. It's the most brilliant thing you'll ever do as a Jew is believe in your Messiah. Okay? But some people will continue, will get to that spot too and say, no, 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 no. He got to a spot and said yes, and uh, that's the end of the story for that. So what's the, what's the attitude? Okay, we talked about the information. First uh, Timothy 2.4 is information. God wants all men, his desires for all men to be saved. How's that working out? There's conflict there, right? There's, uh, we can't take numbers and say, well, it's a 50% poll that people do and 50% no. I don't know what it is, but we know that that's... Uh, that's, that's a problem. But if it's God's desire and you want to do God's will, you've got to interact with that verse. Do you understand what I'm saying? So what's our interaction to be? If God's desires... How do you, how's, what's your desire when you find out someone doesn't want to be saved? Someone doesn't believe in the Lord? What's your desire? What is your effect? How, what's, your, more, more than that, what's your attitude towards unbelievers? Now some of them, you know, let's be honest. Some of them you say, good. You know, you think of their final outcome, you almost want to say, good. And that's wrong. I'll be honest. I've had those kind of things. It's wrong. Because the biblical ideal is God loves everyone equally, right? And, and then you say something like, well, I'm not God. He can do that. I don't. Well, God wants us to be like him. So there's, there's a problem. So here's where we're at. If God's desire or wish is for your salvation, you should also want others to come to the Lord. Uh, and become a member of the body of Christ. And this should give us a desire to confront them with the saving message of the gospel. Now sometimes, listen, sometimes the best start to giving them the gospel is your life. Because I want to tell you something. This is, this is a truism as, it ever, as I've ever given one. People out there are watching you. Because you've at one point stated you're a Christian. And they'll be watching everything you say. Even if they're, you don't know where they stand with Christ. Because I said something on the ball field the other day, and two kids came up to me because they heard what they wanted to hear. I go, that wasn't close to what I said. And the first thing I said in my mind is, I can't use that phrase anymore. Because they're hearing what they want to hear. You understand? And I go, that's not who I am. And that's ruining the intent of what I desire to do when I'm around people. Because you want to give them a little bit to say, what makes you what? Different. Which is easy as that, because you should be leading a different life. Uh, and, and there should be aspects of your life that's different, so you should be able to then get an opening and say, know why I'm like this? Because of my Savior. And give out that gospel because of that. Uh, uh, and and I, even though I said we should want to confront people, I don't mean it as combative. We're not, we're not taking a Bible and beating people to death with it. But we are giving the gospel, and the gospel will do enough damage in and of itself. You understand what I'm saying? Um, 
And God has chosen to bless you when you said yes to Jesus Christ and that you were saved and you got eternal life. Uh, if, if you say no to giving out the gospel, what you're basically saying is you've locked people away from hearing it. And you say, oh, someone else will give it. Well, I know faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and people aren't going to hear it by saying, oh, I think I'll buy a Bible and open it up. So it's really good if you have one with you once in a while or point somebody to a verse and say, hey, what does this verse mean? First, go to 1 Timothy 2.4 and say, God's desire is all for all men to be saved. What does that mean to you? Now, understand, this isn't Bible study. This is an initial reaction. Okay? People are going to react. We're not doing Bible study. We're just saying, what's your thoughts on that? Okay? And then you can give them a Bible study and explain to them the cross. Explain to them the things they need to know. Uh, so, when we talk about quality choices, they begin, quality choices begin with interacting as a response to God's Word. So, God's Word says His desires all for all men to be saved. If you're saved here this morning, you made a quality choice. Right? Uh, and this is how we relate, relate with the will of God, because we're just sheep looking into His book. We want to be led by our good shepherd, right? And we're studying the Bible. Uh, now, ask, answer something, and I think we should constantly ask this. If you come here on Wednesday night, Sunday morning, first session, second session, what are you looking to do? You know? Um, and as we look, our numbers change on Wednesday nights. Our numbers change in first and second session. You say, what, what are we doing? What are we? Why are we here? Uh, I know why I'm here. I got to be here, right? No, that's horrible. I I have a desire on my heart to feed and teach the word. That's the gift God gave me. Uh, if you the, the seven in here th- thought it wasn't the, my gift, you wouldn't be here. But as we look around and we say, what are people getting? And I know there's some people at home this morning. We got an epidemic. I don't know if you know this, even in this city of the flu and different bugs. So if you see somebody just kind of coughing, like this lady over here, stay away. No, she's, I don't know what she's got, because it's not the flu. She's had it for too long. So, and, uh, but, but as we do this, we've got to understand, we're coming to, ch- we're coming to church, and we've got to say that loosely, we're coming to Bible class that's in a building, and we are the church when we gather together. Okay? Because some people will say, I'm going to church. Like, it's magical to walk in a building with a steeple and a lot of people. Okay? That's not what you're coming here for. You're coming to interact, to learn something. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll say something this morning to make somebody mad. Um, maybe you go home and check out what I said about a verse or, or a tense, and you'll say, hey, pastor, this is what I found, or this is what I've done when I've done some search. Well, I've done my job. Because I hope and pray that when I teach things, I'm whetting your appetite to go in to, to search the Word yourself. Now, I'm going to say something. Most of the messes human beings get, get into is because they make bad choices. It just is. You know? Uh, uh, it is important for us to make godly choices, not right choices. So don't think the opposite of bad choices is right choices. It's godly choices. And if God says, forsake not the assembling yourselves together, and people are hit and miss in church, and, and listen, you're not coming to church to doing a nod to God. You're not going to church to be blessed. You're not going to church for whatever. 
Uh, you're going to church to learn the Word of God because you are blessed. Do you hear what I'm saying? I want to, you're coming together to a place where you can be taught and learn the Word of God, and prayerfully, that's why we're here. But don't, don't forget, I said 1 Timothy 2.4, but I, I left out something. Did you notice that? I quoted only part of the verse. Look at the rest of the verse. Not only are you to, God desires all men, all people, um, uh, to be saved, but he also says, and come to the knowledge of truth, or the truth. Now, here's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, we're going to look at that further, but I don't, I, maybe later on as we do this, but I want you to understand, this could either be uh, come because, all men to be saved, that is, to come to the knowledge of the truth. It could be phrased that, saying the same thing twice, or it could be two things. And I think it's important for us to notice that we, this is a package no matter what. You don't come to the Lord. Uh, the Lord's desire isn't just for us to be saved, but it's to grow in truth, to come to that knowledge of truth. And we'll explore it in a minute because i I got a different avenue to travel first. Um, so we're getting back to this idea. The sovereign God has allowed you the honor when you said yes to the gospel message and the cross of Christ, he's given you salvation. The gift, the gift you have that keeps on giving is salvation. Now, I know many of you may have heard in, second, in uh, Ephesians chapter 2 that the gift there is faith. That's not the gift. The gift is salvation because it's not something you can earn, do, or anything. Faith, and I'm going to say this again, uh, faith is not meritorious. It's not something you do. Faith is about the object. So if our object for salvation is Allah, good luck with that. Because your faith in Allah is uh, horrific. It's not getting you anywhere. Nowhere in, in the Quran does it say Allah died for your sins. It doesn't say that. Okay? Uh, and the sovereign God has also chosen to be a minister of wrath to people that say no. Um, go with me. Hold your finger in First Timothy. We'll be back in a little bit. We're going to go a couple places. John 3. Go to John 3 first. But Mark 1 Timothy chapter 2. Bless you. Is it either it's true or do you need a tissue or is that the flu? Uh, <laughs> somebody, I know I'm not going to... Listen. It's an epidemic, I'm telling you. So what... what John 3.36. Now today, I'm, I'm going to say this, because I'm going to be, a, this is called a preemptive strike. If any of you watch the Super Bowl, inevitably there'll be a sign that says, John, somebody's going to have a sign that says, John 3.16. And they call it the world's most famous verse, and I add to the end, mis, misapplied, misquoted, misused. Okay? Because uh, if you knew the true language behind it, you know it's not for those people in the stadium. But this is. They should have John 3.36 because it says this. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. That would change the whole tenor of the Super Bowl, wouldn't it? You're all going to die if you're not saved. You're already in walking in wrath. God's, God just wants you. Listen, God doesn't want to destroy people. He has to because of who he is. And they've rejected what, they, what he's given to them freely. And God has to do something with that. And his wrath is upon those. Those who have entered into, have not entered into salvation have a problem. Um, go, here, go back, go to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3. 
Second Peter chapter three. This is a um, a verse that kind of coincides with First Timothy two four. That helps us understand First Timothy two four a little better. So when people say, I, I think we began this series that saying man does not have a free will. That's what people have said. Man, God has to do certain things because man doesn't have a free will. I'm going to give you a really good question to ask these people that say man doesn't have a free will. Second Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Now, if God wishes all men to be saved and for all men to not perish, okay, my question is, why aren't all men saved? Why aren't all men saved? Now, here, here in, uh, for, in 2 Peter 3, it's, it's a totally different word where, where we get wishing. It's a different word. And it's a desire that flows from reason. The word wishing there is a desire that flows from reason. God has is reasoning. God does not want men to perish. That's his reasoning. He wants all men to be saved. Now, if God wants, then why aren't men saved? I mean, that's we've got to ask ourselves that. If God does the giving of faith, and God does the saving, and God does everything, and all man has to do is what? just stand still or whatever because man is incapable of doing anything, um, then I would say I have a God that's, a, that's, that's horrific because he only saves people because they what? What do they do? You know, because I, I look at all of you and you're like me. Please understand this. You're not, you're not lovable or savable. That's what, that's what we would say because man has an issue. All of us do if you don't realize that. We're what? We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Equally, all men have sinned. I read enough of Romans 3 to know that. We've all sinned. Okay? So, I would say, God, to fix the problem, save everybody. And then, I would say, God, take the next step and make everybody grow in Christ's likeness so we can all get along. Because I don't like not getting along with people. I'm a get-alonger guy or try to fix it so we can all get along. Okay? And sometimes, I'm the one that says, I can't get along with you, and I leave the room, kind of thing. And we say, well, why not? Why does, it, why does God allow a no to the cross and people to be on the road to an eternal hell? Because that's damning, right? Uh, well, I say this, and, I, and I've looked enough at Scripture. It's only the fool who has been negative to the cross of Christ. Um, I don't know many in this room that if I said I had something free, would say... Well, come up after church and say, well, what do you got that's free? <laughs> I'll take two. <laughs> right? Everybody says that. Well, it's free. Take two. You know? Come come take two. Come take whatever. You know? I've got tickets. You can all come up later. I've got tickets to the uh, Tulsa Remodel and Landscape Show, February 21st through the 23rd. Free tickets. I got, I only have eight of them. Okay? So, you can get, you can get two. You can get, all, nobody can get all eight. But I got free tickets. And I'm guaranteed they'll be gone. Somebody will take them because that sounds good. Free tickets. Free, free, free. Right? I got a free ticket to heaven. All you have to do is believe in Christ. That's a beggar, that's a, that's the biggest free you could ever get. Because why? It doesn't last you to February 21st, 23rd. 
Okay, it lasts you to what? Through all eternity. That's dynamite. And people reject that. Because why? Oh, what? What's your reason for rejecting it? Because I just don't want to believe. But if God so desires that these people be saved, uh, what happens here? Why aren't they saved? uh, Because here's the two reasons, and I believe this is more important than anything. God has left us with the responsibility to share the gospel. People have to interact with God's word. First of all, uh, you know, we, I've talked to enough people and I would say, okay, now I, I, this is what I run into in this community. I tell them about what we do here and most of them will say, well, that sounds really nice, but I can't leave my church. Even though my church isn't doing it, I'm not happy, well, I can't leave my church. I mean, well, that's a, that's a bad decision. Now, I'm not saying it for myself, but if your church isn't teaching you, that's a bad decision. Because what did I just say before? Are you getting information and are you do, take, doing what? Interacting with that information. If you're not getting information, it's a bad decision to stay where you're at. Okay? Secondly, as we look at this, um, it's not about this church. or It's about you finding a place that teaches you God's word. And some people may need different options. Uh, but God has given an option to respond positively to God, to His Word. Once entering salvation, teaching begins from, and to get it from God's standpoint. God needs to be the educator of all believers. How do you get educated by God's Word? Now, somebody would say, well, Pastor, you're teaching us. Well, I'm teaching you what? Am I writing a book? Am I reading it out of a book? Am I opening up, uh, uh, Philip Yancey's book and saying, here's what God wants from your life, or do I open up the Bible and say, here's what it says, let's look at it together, let's understand the words and the phrases and so on and so forth, and then make a point or two that may or may not be profound to help you uh, along your way and travels. Because guess what? We're all a mess in our thinking. I don't know about you all, so for instance, if, if I were to walk up, and I'm going to pick on my son-in-law for a minute, Barry, and say, Barry, what do you think on this? Help me make a decision. And Barry says, well, I, I haven't experienced that yet, Dad, but I'll help you. And I said, okay, let's talk about it. And we talk about it, and we come up with a decision. That's two guys thinking that's helpful. And that's not may not be bad, but we haven't interacted with the Word of God. We're not looking at it through God. We're, we're looking at it as two guys that say that, that's a good or bad decision. Uh, and that's that's kind of a bad place to be sometimes. It's just two people with messed up viewpoints slamming against messed up viewpoints. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not, at the end, Barry, I'm sorry, okay? <laughs> they all got messed up viewpoints. We want to take in the Word of God and say, Hey, Dad, this verse I found, or this section of verses, may help us along making a decision. Or I'll say, Hey, just just... Go search this book and see, or search this, do a character study on Joseph, Old Testament Joseph, and say, what was his decision-making process like? You know, the best decision he ever made is, uh, I think it came under the classification of feet don't fail me now. Because Potiphar's wife wanted him in a bad way, um, thinking Joseph's 17, and I don't know how old she was, she was you know, hot for him, and I don't know what was going on with her and her husband and all that stuff, but all Joseph said is, you know, this is not a good idea, and it's not a godly one. And he did something very important. He ran away from the water cooler at work and ran out the door. He paid for it for a while, but he knew it was a godly decision, and he was good with that. Do you understand? 
Um, so what is needed for the believer? Let me just give you uh, two real nuggets, and we'll finish this morning real quick. First of all, is to get more, more exposure to the Word of God. That's all it is. You say, well, I'm not really good at making decisions. Well, if you've only been exposed to God's Word Wednesday morning and Sunday morning, I don't think it's enough. And as I look around the room, and there's, I know many people may be watching on YouTube, hi. Um, that's fine, because it's only temporary. I Hopefully, you should be in here one anothering and all that stuff. But we, we sometimes have to have a platform. If we're out of town or sick or whatever, we can, we can get in God's Word. But if we're getting in God's Word maybe two times a week, and we don't feel our, our choices are quality, and because our intake is not quality. Now, I'm going to say this. Quality is more important than quantity. Does everybody understand what I mean? Quality is more important than quantity. But if you're getting nothing and you're taking in a lot of nothing, um, I don't know if any of you have ever had powdered milk. Anybody ever have powdered milk? That's the most disgusting thing. I don't know who came up with this idea, but but it doesn't work. And you're you're taking it and you say, wow, I've had four gallons of this stuff and my calcium level hasn't moved or whatever you're looking for. And you have a cup of regular milk and you think you're drinking sugar. You know, wow, that's real milk because the quality's better. But here's what it is. Wouldn't you want more of that? So you want quality and then quantity of quality. I hope I'm not too confusing. Uh, so your intake should be quantity, quality intake equals quality choices. Sometimes you need more quantity. Okay, I'm going to tell you something. At least every week I listen to at least three, three or four different guys teaching the Bible. They're the same three or four different guys. Sometimes maybe they're another one. And I, I'll either get... Uh, my earphones on, I walk around the house or in here or doing something, and I'm listening and doing something else at the same time. Because I, I don't want to listen to me all the time. Because if you're alone, you're talking to somebody. In my case, I'm talking to myself, and that's dangerous. Secondly, if we opt not to be in God's will, if we opt not to be in God's word, excuse me, if we opt not to be in God's word or expose ourselves often to God's word to gain divine viewpoint, how can we be doing the will of God? That's all I'm going to ask. If we're not in God's word, we, and we make a choice, and we, expo- and we don't expose ourselves often to God's word, and we don't gain, and we won't gain, we don't gain God's divine viewpoint, how can we make a choice according to God's will? And you've got to ask yourselves, um, why are you a replacement theologian? Now, I just kind of, what? I'm not talking about Israel and the church. I'm talking about why have you replaced God's word with something else that took a priority over it? And I bet you, bet you if I did a, over the last two years, and if I did a survey of why people did not go to church on a certain day, the average answer would be a bad choice. Something else took a priority over God's word. That's as easy as that. Because I have some good choices I'd like to make on Sunday morning. Like this morning, I'm looking outside, and I'm, my first thought is, gorgeous day, great day to play golf. But who would I tell if I did good? Because I played hooky from church because I wanted to play golf on a beautiful day. But people do. People do say, you know, that's a good choice. I'm going to go play golf today. You know, And I don't wish them bad, but if they lost a dozen golf balls, I'd chuckle. Nobody? Okay, thank you. 
And we'll talk, we'll pick up next week with a little bit of why is there such a struggle to be in God's Word? It is, it's a struggle. And we'll talk about that. Father, we thank you for this time. As we go to get coffee and spend time with each other, we ask that you bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen.